Oh, my friends, we are coming down the home stretch here with the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has some final thoughts for us. Um, this particular one is, is one that you need to have a good handle on because if you're ever going to run into somebody who's going to fight you about the church, this is usually one of those places where they're going to go to get their ammunition. So let's pray together and we will study the word of the Lord. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So it seems to me that everywhere you look these days, we as a society have decided that we are going to protect ourselves from everything. We're going to put all these safeguards in place to make sure that none of us ever get hurt. So now we're roping off ponds and we're putting up signs to protect ourselves from alligators and we've always run through the metal detectors in the airport and we have these lengthy instructions with our hair dryers so that we don't electrocute ourselves. And this, this abundance of caution seems, seems to be making its way across the country everywhere except with the National Park Service, particularly in Estes Park, Colorado. How many of you have, have been there? Okay, now I understand that this is the West and they've got that pioneering spirit out there, but nobody has told these people that there are people who are suing McDonald's for their coffee being too hot. And out in Estes Park, they are not thinking safety at all. I want to explain a little bit about this. Estes Park is at the base of, of the Rocky Mountains, and there are thousands upon thousands, millions of people who go out there every year. And when you get out there, you can drive to the top of the mountain, and obviously if you drive up that mountain, you are going to have to drive back down it. Not a problem, because when you start out doing this drive, the road is wide and generous, and, and even if there wasn't, you're still at such a low altitude that, that you're not going to fall off anywhere. So, so you get lulled into this false sense of security going up the side of, of this mountain. But the higher you go, the more narrow the road becomes, and the more narrow that that road becomes, the closer you're either pushed to the edge, or God forbid somebody coming in the other direction, somebody is coming this close to the edge. And, and that's okay for a while, as long as the trees are right there. But once you pass the timber line, you realize that you're halfway up the side of a mountain, and you go off the side of it, and you will fall to your death. No joke. You're coming right down the side of that mountain. You will fall far, you will fall fast, and it will happen before you know it. And despite all of this, despite all of these twists and turns and the ever-narrowing road, the Park Service somehow has not seen fit to install those traffic barriers all the way up the side of the mountain. So if you're going up there or you're coming down, you are dependent on the grace of God and your own common sense use of caution. And that's how we need to look at the passage for today. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and many take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, there's a hint in this passage that suggests people, particularly people who are really anti-church, that, that uh, Christianity is an exclusive 
religion. And I've got to be honest with you that, that over the years, churches haven't done a whole lot to dispel that particular notion. A fellow pastor wrote, it is commonplace to hear accusations against Christianity for being too exclusive. It's too preachy. It focuses too much on beliefs, and the beliefs tend to divide and exclude rather than unite us. It talks too much about its own uniqueness and not enough about what it shares with all of the other religions. It's been a historical force of conflict and strife rather than peace. And while many of these accusations have historical justifications from which we Christians can and should humbly learn, when you consider biblical Christianity, however, we are presented with a Christ who transcends all of these accusations in order to offer real hope to all people rather than simply providing counter-arguments. So individuals, individual churches might make themselves exclusive in the ways that they treat outsiders, how they set up their services and their liturgy, how they market themselves only to a very specific population. But understand that none of that, none of that is Jesus. Jesus includes everyone. Come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy burdened. That is just about as inclusive as it's going to get. By definition, all is everybody, everyone, each and every person. But just because the offer is made that includes everybody doesn't mean that everybody chooses to accept it. There are people who are, look at that climb up Estes Mountain and they, uh, up in Estes Park and they say, you know, no thanks, I'm good, I'm just going to stay right here on the ground. You go ahead. And what's crazy awesome about our God is how insanely, insanely inclusive our God is. The only qualification to come to God is to know that you cannot meet any qualifications that would make you worthy. Our God is y'all come God. And it's that belief that starts us down the narrow road because that flies in the face of the way that the entire rest of the world works. Our world is not a y'all come sort of world. We know this. We know that not everybody is welcomed at the Ritz-Carlton. Not everybody is going to get a certain job or get into a certain college. Society sets all kinds of standards, and we're so used to the idea that some people belong and some people don't in certain places, that it's really quite radical for us to comprehend that Jesus actually meant, no, seriously, everybody has an open invitation to God. Now, getting an invitation and accepting it are two totally different things. This is that time of year when we have those college acceptance letters coming out. And, and what we know is that most students apply to more than one college, and you can't go to more than one college. So that means that for every student who picks a particular college, there's a good chance that they're going to say no someplace else. And the reasonings behind that are going to be as varied as the people themselves. But just because you reject an invitation doesn't mean that you weren't invited and you weren't included. The challenge we find, though, with following Jesus is that he's just going to tell you right up front what it's going to be like. Right here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that, that following him is going to be hard. It's a narrow way. And, and what, is, what does that mean? 
You go back through the sermon, you start again in, in chapter 5. Do you all realize we, we've been working on two chapters of the Bible for five months? That's how hard this, this is. And he's given us a lot to work through. Jealousy, greed, adultery, divorce, generosity, humility, fear, neglect, forgiveness. These are not your typical dinner party conversation starters. So you can see, when faced with all of that, why someone might say, I'm going with a far wider, far less accountable path right at the start. Because, because from this angle, looking at all the stuff that Jesus has laid out, why on earth do I want to go with that path? And often what bristles people about, about following Jesus is this idea of accountability. They don't even like the word. They, they claim that it's exclusive. Accountability is an exclusive thing because ex- exclusivity is not something that we have to be responsible for. That's how much we, we rebel against even the concept of accountability. We'd rather pretend that we've already been excluded rather than accept the invitation and be held accountable for what we do. So our tendency is going to be to take that wider path because it just appears so much easier. And Jesus says that, that while it may be easier, it leads to destruction. Well, how, how could that be? The easier road is a road where you choose to do whatever you want, whenever you want, regardless of what anybody else thinks, much less God. And the basic premise of this road, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, is that, that as long as I'm basically a good person, then it's all going to work out in the end. I just have to be a good person by whatever standard I personally define as good. And at first, that, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. It reminds me a lot of uh, the John Hughes movies back in the 80s, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, all of that kind of stuff. And you look at all of those characters, and what was fascinating about all of those characters is the family life and, and the family dynamics that all these characters come from. And in each one of those movies, you've always got that one set of parents, the one set of parents that actually knew what was going on, that was holding their kid accountable, and, and it was the set of parents that were the most embarrassing, most frustrating set of parents, and you felt sorry for the kid. It's, it's the kind of kid that my daughter looks at now and is like, see, that's you. You're those parents. And, and the crazy thing about that is, at the end of all those movies, when everything blows up and it's a mess and there's chaos, you go back to that one character and that one family, and you see how that dynamic ends up very, very different than the rest of them. There's going to be consequences, but there's always guidance and love. That's what it looks like when you enter into an accountable relationship with Jesus Christ. Where there's accountability, there's always going to be a narrow path, which at first seems lame or restrictive and sometimes even scary, but ends up in a much better destination with a much better outcome. There is nothing in Scripture, absolutely nothing. I dare you, read the entire Bible and come back to me on this. But there is nothing in Scripture that is intended to harm you, hurt you, or make your life miserable. In fact, Scripture is chock full of stuff that is there to help you grow, to help you thrive, to live your life as fully as possible. And so when Scripture talks about moderation, for example, in regards to something like drinking, It's not because 
God wants to exclude drinkers from the kingdom of heaven. It's not because he's trying to ruin your ability to have a good time, but even the least God-interested person on the planet would have to admit that there are definitive dangers, dangerous threats to your life and others when you are drunk. And scientific studies that are completely devoid of faith whatsoever have shown what happens to your brain and your memory and your health when you drink excessively. So if you're honest, you'd have a really tough time defending the positive impact of a drunken stupor. So if drinking in moderation is reflective of the narrow way, while it might seem less fun for a moment, the reward is going to be a fullness of life the next morning. There's one other part that we have to consider about this narrow way. It makes a pretty radical claim about Jesus. And it's the claim that he is all that we need to obtain eternal life. That's a very narrow viewpoint, isn't it? If you're in a sinking ship and a lifeboat is offered, your only responsibility is to cling to that lifeboat. Now, if you don't believe that your ship is sinking, well, then you have no need to seek out a lifeboat. Does that mean that the lifeboat is divisive or or that it's exclusive in the negative way that we want to use that term? Because it will only save those who are looking to be saved, those who are open enough to admit that they need saving? Or, Or is not this exclusion precisely the factor that makes its salvation so worthy and so secure in the first place? Consider two different reactions to this statement. There's a lifeboat. Reaction one. Only one? Ah. Reaction two. There's one. I don't have to look anywhere else. Hallelujah. Jesus is absolutely exclusive in the sense that he is the only one who offers us eternal life. He is narrow in the sense that those who follow him are dependent not on what we do, but what he has done for us. There is no other way, and his grace is sufficient. His love is unconditional. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is open, available, and 100% inclusive to every single person who seeks him out, no exclusions. So now that we understand the roads and the gates, we need to know where they're going to take us. The wide road leads to destruction. We don't have to talk about that very much. We know this because we've seen those places in our lives when we have gone on the easy route. We knew what it would take to follow Jesus, and we made the choice to go do something else because we thought that it would be easier because we let our pride take over, and we had those moments of, I can do this. I got this figured out. I can handle it. And we know, we know where that has gotten us. We know those times of trouble that we have landed in because of it. The narrow road leads to life. Now that is not to say that there aren't challenges that come along this path. I decided when I was working on the sermon to look up the fatalities at Rocky Mountain National Park. 
And actually, there are none on record that deal with somebody falling off the side of the mountain in their car. But what was not surprising to me at all was that Rocky Mountain National Park has one of the highest incident rates of cardiac arrest of any of the national parks across the country. I think they're only beat by Grand Canyon. But back in 2016, the park estimated that they had 3.3 million visitors. And at its peak in 2014, the total loss of life in one year was, again, eight people, none who fell off the narrow road. But having been a passenger on that mountain, on those roads, as Pastor Sung was driving, I want to give my testimony this morning that God's grace must be rampant all over that mountain, must rain down, shower upon it, and that even though we we succumb to the temptations of the wide road, the good Lord is gracious and forgiving. And when you get to the top, when you get to the top of Rocky Mountain National Park and you get out of the car, It's one of those views where you get out, you look around, and you understand in a profound way what it means to be alive. You enter through the narrow gate, for the gate that is wide and the road that is easy leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate that is narrow and the road that is hard leads to life, and there are few that find it. Be one of the ones who finds it. I guarantee you won't regret it, and you will discover what it is like to be fully alive. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we confess that we we love that wide road. It seems to be the road that so many of our peers take, and, and they make it look so fun and so engaging and so inviting. So when we make that choice to follow the narrow road, be with us, God. We know that we're going to need you. That's why we took the narrow road in the first place. We need you to protect our hearts and our lives, to give us strength and fortitude for the road that is ahead. And we thank you that you are leading us to a destination that will remind us of what it means to be fully alive. In your name we pray. Amen.